the Lord. A late Sunday morning, and we bless the Lord for the rain. Uh, the dust was scary. Bless the Lord that the rains are here. God has it here. I'd like you just to turn to your neighbor and tell them joy. Tell them there is some oil of joy today. <laughs> Beyond the oil they applied on themselves, tell them there is an oil of joy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We thank God for this time that we are here in his house to listen to his word, just to fellowship with one another. Indeed, we never take it for granted that God has given us a place that we can come and commune with him and even commune with others. And indeed, we are grateful for what God is doing uh, in our midst. So during this month of October, um, we'll be talking about joy. We'll be talking about joy. Tell your neighbor joy. Tell the other neighbor joy. And you have the freedom to move if they are not telling you. you know. We'll give you permission. We'll not condemn you. you know. So we'll be going through a study uh, through the book of Philippians, basically looking at joy. Uh, we are living in times when many of us are in seasons of challenge, uh, seasons of sorrow, seasons of pain, seasons of mourning. Um, some are also celebrating, but indeed it is important that even in a time as this, the Lord would want to speak to us that we may be able to come to a place where we are able to experience his joy. Praise the Lord. So during this entire month of October, we'll be talking about joy as we see in the book of Philippians. Because true joy in our lives is not based on circumstances or happenings as we'd be there as compared to happiness. Because there is a difference between joy and happiness. But true joy, as one man said, is the quiet, you know, confident assurance of God, God's love, and work in our lives that he will be here or he will be there for us no matter what. That true joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives that he will be there no matter what. You know, happiness, as is seen, it depends on the happenings around us, the circumstances around us. But we can say true joy is found in Jesus. Praise the Lord. And that is what the Lord would desire of us to have to experience this true joy that is only found in him. John chapter 15 verse 11 says this, And Christ at this time is talking to his disciples. He's about to go to the cross to be arrested and to be, you know, to be crucified. And we are told that in John chapter 15, that Christ talks to his disciples about joy, as he's talking to them about being in the vine and abiding in him. We find that in John chapter 15 verse 11, he says, that these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Praise the Lord. That my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. I don't know what is your measure of joy this morning. Is it quarter, is it half, three quarter or full? But Christ would desire of us that indeed his joy might be full on the inside of us. Praise the Lord. That even through the circumstances, through the challenges of life, that his joy might be full in us. And the book of Philippians is what is called Paul's joy letter. The word joy is mentioned 16 times in this book. It is actually said to have 135 verses. But the word joy is mentioned 16 times in this book. 
just to emphasize that this is a letter of joy that Paul gets to write to the church at Philippi. And so, as I've said, as I started, that my prayer is that truly the Lord may bring us to that place that our joy is full. Beyond the seasons, beyond the challenges, beyond the pain, beyond the celebrations, that truly his joy may be present in us. And just to give us a simple difference or a few differences between happiness and joy, you know, joy is said to be something that lasts. Happiness is something that is temporary. Joy springs from within as an internal experience. Happiness is caused by the external circumstances or experiences. Joy brings with it a feeling of contentment and confidence which can take us through a storm in life journey. Happiness is not present when we are in the midst of a storm. But joy keeps us moving in that storm. Happiness most of the time is out when we are going through a storm. And so happiness depends on the happenings, but joy is beyond the happenings. Praise the Lord. Happiness depends on the happenings, but joy is beyond the happenings. And so my prayer is that God would bring us to that place that truly we can say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise the Lord. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. That our measure of joy may rise today in the name of Jesus. And just to give us a picture of what we'll be able to cover this month, uh, by the will of God, is that today we'll be talking just to give an introduction, a background of the circumstances of Paul in Philippians chapter 1. And in next Sunday, God willing, we'll be talking about joy in serving, basically the attitude of Christ, that is chapter 2. The other Sunday, we'll be talking about joy in believing, the priceless value of knowing Christ. And then the last Sunday, we'll be talking about joy in giving, basically the gifts and the generosity of the church that Paul talks about when you read in Philippians chapter 4. So we'll be talking about joy. That God also raises us to a place of joy in serving, joy in believing, joy in giving. And just to give us a background, we are told the author of this book is Paul. The time is 62 AD. The key people who are mentioned in this book beyond the believers at Philippi is Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Judea, and Senche. You know, I said in the first service, can you pronounce the last name there? Just tell your neighbor, pronounce it to your neighbor and see if you'll pronounce the same way. You know me, I, when I reach here, I normally just say Senche, you know, just to, to be on the safe side. Praise the Lord. And I know even you with your neighbor, you've pronounced differently. And I have never met someone who has called their child or named this way. One as if you were. <laughs> and so the recipients of this letter are the believers in Philippi. Are you together? Allow me just to take you through what I'll call a small Bible marathon. <laughs> just to give us a background of where we are coming from. Or where Paul is coming from. And I hope you'll stay with me. You know, marathons, not everyone finishes. But I trust that you'll be with me till the end. As I just take you through just a small background marathon of where Paul was coming from. To find himself in jail and to find where does this church begin at so the beginning of this church is what we find in acts chapter 16 that paul during his second missionary journey he visits this place 
And we are told that in Acts chapter 16, we come to a place where we are told that in verse 6 to around um, 9 there, that Paul and Silas, they traveled through uh, the area of Phrygia and Galatia. And because we are told that the Holy Spirit had prevented him from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time, he comes to the borders of Mysia. And there he heads north to the province of Bithynia. But again, we are told that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. And so in verse 8 we are told, so they went to Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And so while Paul is there, we are told that that night a vision comes upon him in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16. And we are told that a man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we need to understand that Macedonia was a district and Philippi was a city in there. Because when you come now to Acts chapter 16 verse 12, we are told this in Acts chapter 16 verse 12, that from there we reach, now Paul travels after seeing this vision, you know, before he had been told by the Spirit, don't go to these places, but now because he has seen this vision, then Paul now goes to Macedonia, what we call the Macedonian call, to the city of Philippi. So in Acts chapter 16 verse 12, we are told that from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. And we are told that in verse 13, that on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. So Paul has reached into this city. And then he goes to, you know, to the city, to the riverbank, where he meets. And he's thinking that there are some people who will be gathered there for prayer. And we are told that when he's there, he meets with Lydia from Theatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And so we are told that as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. And she and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. And so Paul has reached this place, goes out to the riverbank, meets, you know, with Lydia and the people who are there, and therein they start, you know, a fellowship. And one of the aspects that we cannot overlook in this church is that women were present in the beginning of this church. Praise the Lord. Sarah's treasure. That women were present in the beginning of this church. That is why even when you read in Philippians chapter 4, you find that Paul mentions these two women just to show that there were women who were there beyond the men who were there in the beginning of this church. And just to say that, you know, that even as women you need to understand that there is a place God calls on you in the building of his church and in the ministry, beyond also the responsibilities of leadership, that we'll also see that also some men were present in when you look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And so, Paul is there. But from the same Acts chapter 16, verse 16, to around... Um, chapter 39, we are told that Paul goes in and as he was preaching, he gets arrested together with Silas. We will not go into that. And we are told that when he is released in Acts chapter 16 verse 40, because they had been arrested with Silas, we are told that they go back where? To Lydia's house. Verse 40 says that when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Just to show us that this is where the church started. 
It started in a home. That is why even we always emphasize T groups, Tandaza group, come in, join in. But then now when you come to Acts chapter 17, I said we are on a marathon. We are told that now Paul leaves to Thessalonica when you read in Acts chapter 17. We will not go much into that. And then during again his third missionary journey, which we find in Acts chapter 20, Paul actually goes back there from verse 1 to 6. He goes back just to encourage them again to see how they are faring on in Acts chapter 20, verse 1 to 6. He goes back to Philippi to encourage them. But then we are told in Acts chapter 21, from verse 10, it's a marathon. We are told that a time comes when Paul meets with this prophet, let me call him Agabus, because that was his name, he was a prophet, he was called Agabus. In Acts chapter 21, verse 10, we are told that when Agabus meets with Paul, we are told that he takes Paul's belt, verse 10, and bounds his own feet and hands with it, and says, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall be the honor of this belt, be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and turned over to the Gentiles. So Agabus is basically saying that this guy, Paul, you is the owner of this belt. When you go to Jerusalem, you shall be arrested by the Jewish leaders. But Paul tells them this in verse 13. Why are you weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of our Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And so from verse 15 we see that Paul says, and the Bible says, and Paul packed his stuff and he went to Jerusalem. But then when he arrives in Jerusalem in verse 21 of the same chapter, there is a situation. Because the people who receive him, they tell him this, you know, Paul, when these Jewish leaders know that you've come to this place, they will arrest you. Things will not be okay. And so they tell him, this is what we'll do just to cover you. What we'll do, we look for some men in verse 23. Here is what we are going to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. So the accusation of Paul at this time was this, that the people were saying that Paul was telling those Jews who were living with Gentiles to do away with the Jewish law, the laws of Moses or the customs of Moses. So they felt for us to cover you so that these people think, you know, we are still together and that you're not teaching something different. Let us allow you to go with these four men to the temple and do this ritual, this purification, so that the people will think, you know, you are still together. You're still following the customs of Moses. But that didn't happen. So actually Paul, yes, goes to the temple. But then in verse 28 we are told this, that he's seen at the temple. And a riot actually ensues because now they see Paul whom they have been looking for. Because in verse 28 we are told that yelling men of Israel help us. This is the man who preaches against our people. Everywhere, everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. So this is what they were accusing him for. And actually verse 30 says that the whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. So Paul would create riots, praise the Lord. I know I've ever asked here before, have you ever created a riot because of the gospel? But Paul would do this. 
And so a whole riot ensued because of this man. And so the people want to kill him actually. But then he's saved by being arrested. I don't know if you've ever seen someone who has been saved from a mob by police. This was Paul at that time. And so Paul was saved by the troops or the soldiers. And in verse 33 we are told he was arrested and he was bound with two chains as ordered by the commander. And so Paul was taken in. And then when you come to Acts chapter 23, we are told he's brought before this council. I told us I'm just giving us a background a bit. And we are told that he comes before the council. And we are told that when he comes before the council, even without waiting, he starts speaking. I was calling it a Mabusu moment in the first service. Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. But you are told that instantly Ananias, the high priest, <laughs> commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. To tell him, Nyamaza, you know. <laughs> Nyamaza. <laughs> but Paul said to, go, to him, you know, to Ananias, God will slap you. <laughs> you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me to struck like that? So as it was in those days, it is also present in our days. If you know, you know. Bonus if you will. You know. But then Paul is told by those who are standing near him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? Verse 4. And he says, I am sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Paul replied, For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So Paul humbles himself. You know. And so he's told to defend himself and we find that from verse 6 to 10 but one of the interesting things that happens even in this moment in time because he's still in prison or under you know arrest we are told that in acts chapter 23 verse 11 we are told that the lord appears to him in the night acts chapter 23 verse 11 and this is what the lord says that the lord appears to paul and says to him be encouraged paul just as you have been a witness to me here in jerusalem you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So Paul finds encouragement even in his trials, even in his season of arrest. But then as he's there, the men still outside there are plotting to kill him. And what goes out, you know, his nephew hears this, men scheming, the Jews planning to kill him. And so his nephew goes and tells him, you know, there are people who are planning to kill you. And so Paul tells him, you know, go tell the commander there is such a plot that I might be killed. And so the commander says, let us transfer this guy to another place. And so we are told that in Acts chapter 23, verse 23, that Paul is sent to Caesarea. And here he's given escort like no other. Because in Acts 23, verse 23, we are told that the commander that night, at 9 o'clock, he orders 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, and 70 mounted troops. And horses to take Paul to Caesarea. And he also writes a letter to the governor. And the governor then was Felix. Telling him about the case of this guy. And that people are planning to kill him. So we cannot try him here in Jerusalem. He needs to go to Caesarea. And so that night we are told, verse 31, they go. And then so in Acts chapter 24, still in our marathon, we are told that Paul appears before Felix in Acts chapter 24. 
Because you are told that five days later when he appears or, or he reaches uh, Caesarea, Ananias, who was still his accuser, comes. And they also have a lawyer with them who is called Tetulas in Acts chapter 24 verse 1. I've never seen a law firm written Tetulas and advocates, but there was one. <laughs> because Acts 24 says that five days later Ananias the high priest arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer, Tetulas, to present their case against Paul to the governor. And so they come and Paul is brought before Felix. And Tertullius presents his accusations as we see in verse 9. And the Jews were just chiming in as he said, as he reported, as he accused, you know, Paul in all this. And Acts 24, 10 to 21, we are told that now Paul is able to give his defense. So now, Paul, what do you have to say? And he defends himself. But then again, there is no hope for him because we are told that for two years in Acts chapter 24, verse 26 and 27 says this, that this governor when Paul was in jail, would always bring him out and in to see if he would bribe him. Because the Bible says in verse 26 that Felix hoped that Paul would bribe him. And it's that he would send for him often. So corruption was there, even in those days. And we are told in verse 27 that two years went by this way. He was still in remand. This is not something that happened or started the other day. Even in the times of Paul, it was there. That two years went by in this way, and Felix was succeeded by Festus. So Governor Felix goes out, and Festus comes in to authority. But because Felix wanted to gain favor with the people, he left Paul in prison. And Acts chapter 25 talks about Festus, who comes in. He takes time before he takes his place of Authority, because we are told actually he goes first back to Jerusalem, then he comes back to Caesarea, then he says, you know, bring Paul before me, and again, accusations still arise about Paul in light of what he had done. But even in this time, we are told that Paul appeals and says, I want to go to Caesar. I want my case to go to the Supreme Court. But we are told even in this time when Festus has come to authority, we are told about a king called Agrippa, who comes to visit together with his wife Bernice. And you are told that they come to visit him, to pay homage, to celebrate him, that now Festus you become governor. And actually Agrippa says, let me listen to this guy. But out of their judgments, both of them, they say that this man is innocent. He can be released. But because he said he wants to go to Caesar, then we only do not have any other option but to take him to Caesar. And out of that, we find that Paul finds himself in jail for the two years. He finds himself arrested, he can't go anywhere, and he is in jail, even as he's writing the book of Philippians. You know, um, as you can see here, it says Pastor D was here last month. Uh, <laughs> the D can be David or Dennis. I am safe. You know, in jail, there's a program we watch, and they say that Heshimu Sharia Ya Sabuni. You know, soap is very valuable in prison. And Paul finds himself in such a place, he finds himself in jail, arrested, nowhere to go. But even in that time, even in that difficulty, we find that Paul is able still to write some letters, still write a letter of joy to the believers in Philippi. And you'll allow me to read it from jail. Praise the Lord. 
And this is what Paul says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And therein we see that Paul is giving his greeting. You know, greeting the elders, greeting the deacons. Remember this is a church he had established as we have seen in Acts chapter 16. And Paul continues to write this and says this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. And he continues to say in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will, no, I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, to me, is, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress 
and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow in account or on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God, for it, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw, I had, and now hear that I still have. Praise the Lord. And so that is where Paul was writing from. In prison. But Paul, even in this place of prison, still had joy. Praise the Lord. Still had joy. And you're going just to look at six things from this chapter. Number one is to understand that if you're a person of thanksgiving, Paul says this, that every time I think of you, I give thanks. That we need to understand that there is power in thanksgiving. There is joy that we are able to draw when we are a people of thanksgiving. When we are a people of remembrance of what God has done for us. Paul was able to draw and to have joy when he remembered these people. When he gave thanks to God. He says in verse 3 that every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. That gave joy to Paul. Praise the Lord. There is power in thanksgiving. That if at all you can choose to be a person of thanksgiving, I can assure you, joy will always flow out of you. If you are a person of remembrance of what God has done for you, where God has brought you out from, joy will always flow out of you. This was the driving force for Paul. Remembrance. Because many a times we forget. Deuteronomy chapter 8 would always say, Moses telling the people, remember what the Lord has done for you. Because when you remember what the Lord has done for you, joy comes forth as a result out of it. Praise the Lord. There is power in thanksgiving. There is power in remembrance of what the Lord has done for us. Paul continues to say this. That there is joy in prayer. And joy, I must say, is built on continual prayer. And that is why he says in verse 4, Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. With joy. Possibly you're not experiencing joy today because you're not praying. Possibly someone hurt you or God did not answer a certain thing and you moved away and that stole your joy. But Paul was basically saying that whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. That there is a joy we get to tap into if we are a people of prayer. If we are a people of prayer. And Romans chapter 12 verse 12 would say, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Have you lost the joy of prayer? There is a joy you get to experience if you are a person of prayer. Because joy is also built in continual prayer. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18 would say, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Paul connects joy and prayer. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. Pray without ceasing. Giving thanks in all circumstances. My brother, my sister, there is a joy we get to experience if we are a people of prayer. That the happenings around us don't dictate. But because we are a people of prayer, there is a joy we get to experience. And Paul understood this. This gave him joy as he prayed for the church at Philippi. Though in prison, this gave him joy. The third thing we see that Paul celebrates and gives that, 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 that basically gives him joy is the joy of partnership. The joy of partnership. Because you see in verse 5 he says this, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. That there is a joy we get to have when we partner with God. When we partner with the right people. Who are you partnering with today? Are they partners of sorrow? Praise the Lord. Or are they partners of joy? Possibly some of us are experiencing sadness because of our partnerships. Wrong business partners. Hello. Wrong associations. But Paul is saying that even in our partnerships, be it in the things of the kingdom, be it with the things of God, Paul is saying that there is a joy you can tap into and experience when you have the right partners. I pray that if you are in partnerships of sorrow that today you will leave them. Praise the Lord. You will leave them in Jesus' name. Because they are just weighing you down. You are not moving. There is a joy you get to experience when you have the right partnership. And the greatest partnership is when you are able to partner with God. To connect with God. And even accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord. But again, Paul says the fourth thing, that he found joy that Christ is preached. The preaching of the gospel brought joy to Paul. And that is why he says, you know, whatever has happened to me has helped to spread the good news in verse 12. And he says, yes, there are people out there whose motives are different from verse 15 to around 18 there. But in verse 18 he says, but that doesn't matter. Whatever their motives they are, whatever their motives, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Praise the Lord. That we should find joy that Christ is preached. You should find joy even when that guy stands up in the matatu and preaches to you. One as if you. Possibly you're the one who just puts the earphones and says, That's a pastor. Kelele. You know. You should find joy that Christ is being preached. Many a times we'd want people to talk different things. You should find joy when that person stands in that family meeting to preach. Praise the Lord. 
You should find joy when that person stands in the office and says, let us have fellowship. Don't start saying, Ujamana to Katizia lunch. Because that's what you say. Hello? Hello? You should find joy that Christ is being preached in that office. What are you doing yourself? Hello? You should find joy that Christ is being preached. And Paul found joy in this, that Christ was being preached. Whatever their motives were, he says, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Whatever their motives, whether they are planning or doing something ill against me, I still find joy. Joy that Christ is being preached. But the fifth thing that would also be able to give us joy is when you know you're living for God's purpose. Living in the will of God. Living in that thing that God called you to do. That should give you joy. Many of us are sad today because we are not living in the purpose of God. We are not living in the will of God. Paul found joy in living in that purpose. And that is why he says in verse 20, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Remember a prophecy by Agabus had been given, but Paul understood that there is a greater joy I get to experience when I know I am living in the purposes of God. Possibly you're here, you're not in a season of joy, or not even having that joy even as I talk about it. You need to ask yourself, am I living in the purposes of God? And that is why he says in the same verse 25 to 26, Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul knew his purpose in God. And that gave him joy. Praise the Lord. That gave him joy. How I pray that if at all this far you don't know your purpose, that God may show you your purpose. That you may find joy in Christ. That you may find joy in Christ. And when I come to you again, he says in verse 26, you will even have more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Living out the purpose of God in his life. But lastly, Paul understood this, that there is a joy that you get to experience knowing the privilege you have to suffer for Christ. I know this one looks different. How can I be saying that there is joy in suffering for Christ. Because Paul says in verse 29 to 30, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. This brought joy to Paul. That this is a privilege. And this brought joy to Paul. The privilege for suffering for Christ. The privilege of suffering for Christ. And that is why he tells them that we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. But even in the midst of it, Paul talks about joy. Praise the Lord. Paul talks about joy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 
verse 17 to 18. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 to 18 it says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. If we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Praise the Lord. That if at all you want to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And Paul understood this. That even in my time of suffering, that joy was present. That there was a joy that he was able to experience even in his time of suffering. And if at all truly you want to share in his glory, you must also share in his suffering. Praise the Lord. Nehemiah, a time when the people were mourning, in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, he told them, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of us, I know you have been in a season of grieving, a season of pain, but I pray that even today, as Nehemiah told the children of Israel, do not grieve, that my prayer for you today is that the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. Praise the Lord. That the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. As almost come to an end, in John chapter 16, we find something interesting there. That one of the things we find Jesus, from chapter 15, he talks to his disciples about abiding in the vine and being connected to him. It is interesting that the last things or the last topical encouragement that Christ gives his disciples before he's taken to the cross was about joy. Because in John chapter 16, we are told from verse 20, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Christ was telling them that there is a joy you get to experience in him. And he says in verse 21 that it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy. You may be here, you've been in a season of anguish. How I pray and I declare over you, may God bring you to a place of joy. May God bring you to a place of birth, to a place of joy in the name of Jesus. Because it says that when her child is born, her anguish, your pain, your sorrow, your circumstances, they give way to joy. Because she has brought a new baby into the world. And so he tells them in verse 22, So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. Many of us, that joy has been robbed. But Christ is saying in this season, he wants you to experience abundant joy. Things, people have stolen your joy, but Christ would want of you to experience abundant joy. And he says in verse 23 to 24, at that time you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly and will grant your request because you use my name. And he says in verse 24, You haven't done this before. 
ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. That God is telling us, my brother, my sister, that ask of him, ask of him, ask of him. He's saying, I want to give you abundant joy. In your times of depression, in your times of pain, in your times of sorrow, in your times of hardship, God is telling us today, K3C, that ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. The Lord wants to grant each and every one of us a full measure, as we read in John chapter 15, verse 11, a full measure of his joy. But he's saying, are you in pain? Are you in a struggle? Are you going through a hard time? The Lord is saying, ask of me. Your joy may have been stolen by people. They have hurt you. They have condemned you. They have offended you. But God is saying, I am here. Ask in my name and I will give you abundant joy. Praise the Lord. May we all arise even as we take time to pray. And I'd like you just to go before the Lord in just one minute and just ask the Lord to give you joy. Even as we just bow our heads in prayer, just go before the Lord and ask of Him where there has been no joy in your life. Be it in your marriage, be it in your relationships, be it in your business, be it even just in your family. The Lord is telling you today, ask in my name. Ask, 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 ask in my name. Man cannot give you the joy that Christ can give. Man cannot. Man cannot. You're possibly almost sinking into depression. But God is saying, I can turn around and lift you out of that despair, out of that depression. Ask in my name. Ask in my name. The Lord desires of you to experience abundant joy. Is it in your marriage? Joy has been stolen. The Lord desires to give you abundant joy. Men have hurt you. Ask for joy. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Maybe when you know someone who's not been in a time of joy, just commit them before the Lord this morning. Pray over them and say, Lord, give my friend, my brother, my parents joy.